Hey gang, welcome back to Hero with a Thousand Potions, a gaming podcast where two game likers in their 30s discuss the storytelling and gameplay of popular and niche RPGs in a book club-like format. I'm Tyler. I'm just Nate, and I like dames. I'm clinically depressed, so I play games. It's season two. We're covering Final Fantasy VII Remake and its parallel content in the original game released back in 1997. Today we're covering Chapter 12, ascending the Sector 7 pillar in the hopes to save it from utter destruction. How are you doing tonight, Nate? I'm doing all right. How about you? I'm great, man. My basement adventure is... Pretty much over. I'm here reporting, not live, from my new podcasting nook in the basement. We've got fresh walls with insulation. Uh, That's very good for our Wisconsin winters. This is also very advantageous for the podcast, too, because you might recall that I've been uh, in the landing in the upper level and uh, where there's um, house sounds that we're sensitive to, especially of the baby who has to be put down, and, and if she's up, sometimes it blows up all of our plans for that evening, and we have to reschedule these these uh, recording sessions. So now that I'm in the basement and I've got some soundproofing here, we're not bound by those rules anymore, and we can record a little more at our leisure than before. It is really, really nice to be back. Cool. I'm in the fortunate position to where my kid sleeps, so I can, in theory, most nights I can be fully available for recording purposes. Because he just he drops like a rock at eight o'clock. Awesome. When can I expect that? Uh, well, see, that's it. I mastered this technique at about like six months. So I don't know, man. I've been, I've been, uh, I've been, been peppering you with advice or, or little techniques here and there. But ultimately, every kid is different. So the most I can say, you know, every kid's different. But I am absolutely a stickler for my routine he knows that uh when it starts getting dark out there's a little bit of wiggle room now because it gets dark really early but especially during the summer when it was dark at like 7 30 he would just look at me and he would say upstairs i'd be like yep nice he would turn off the tv if it was on he would go grab his stuffed animals or his like water bottle and stuff and then he would go to the stairway and wait for me to take him upstairs because he was so into our day-to-day routine. So anyway, uh, as for me, I've been a little bit in a renaissance of rock, metal, prog, whatever alternative music mm-hmm. this last couple of weeks. Like I got so dissatisfied with the genre in the 2010s that I pretty much just like listened to K-pop or my like Japanese rock bands or something. But I've been noticing in the last few years um, that it's just been like popping off. So there's like a negative opinion of the genre called degent or degenerative or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> degenerative. I think it's evolving beyond its initial like, what I would call butt rock phase. There's now there's people playing saxophones. There's people doing like complex timing. There's people doing like three minute, four minute long intermissions. The kind of thing I loved about the Mars Volta back in the day. Hmm. And like the bands all have like nine members that all do shit, you know? So I've been listening to, um, there's a band I've followed for quite a while. Uh, It's thank you scientist. And then that got me, pushed over into weirdly enough another band called tesseract and then that pushed me in some other places there's there's like a dozen different bands i'm listening to but now in this last week i've known about these guys for a while but there's a new album this year uh by periphery and i've been absolutely obsessing over that album i also i'm late to arrive to the sleep token train which is um i guess a very popular mixed genre metal band mm-hmm. i'm vibing that at one but it didn't have as much sticking power for me as some of the others um but all stuff that i like wish i could send my wife to listen to and we could talk about but they just hit the point where because they don't have internet access their phones will no longer authorize their spotify's and their apple musics and everything so she's like i'm, I'm pretty much completely dead in the water on music and i was like that fucking sucks that's wild so whatever yeah. you've downloaded locally is what you have no no oh because it won't authorize their accounts yes mm. exactly so even that gets uh killed bummer dude yeah big bummer so hoping that that situation resolves itself soon so because that's one of the things is we would chat about our music 
discoveries and opinions via email. That's like a bonding thing. No doubt. This is an action-packed chapter. It's like a movie. <laughs> yes. Um, it's got a lot of cutscenes. And it has a lot of cutscenes. It's so linear. You're just climbing upwards, right? And that's that's by design. There isn't really something else to do with this set piece, so to speak. To To change this would be to change the very nature of what it is. It's a pillar. And there isn't many ways to do a pillar, right? <clears throat> the chapter begins with an intro scene. We see Avalanche Militia. These are kind of anonymous Sector 7 affiliates of avalanche racing up the pillars utility stairs we see barrett jesse biggs and wedge and those other folks laying siege to shinra forces and the turks helicopter reno is on the copter's loudspeaker and is instructing avalanche to stand down in original there's only one helicopter but in one of these shots in this scene you can see there are at least five helicopters sieging the pillar they're trading gunfire between one another and i've got to say nate since avalanche is here on the tower, defending it, firing back. It makes you wonder how Avalanche discovered the plot. Was Tifa's plan all for naught? Did she head over to Don Corneo? Did she expose herself for risk of sexual assault for nothing? Because it turns out that Baird and the others found out independently of that. Isn't that a conclusion you can draw? Yeah, and I think they mentioned something about that of like shaking down some thugs or something. I don't I don't remember exactly where that said, but huh. yeah, yeah, it, it, it's kind of, it, it's invalidated because she didn't, one, Tifa didn't stop anything by learning that info. She's not like jumping in there and warning everybody and like, we got to get there before Shinra shows up. Shinra's already there. Barrett's already there. And so, you know, um, kind of pointless, but you know, that's the way <laughs> it goes. And that's, I mean, not everything has to work out to spec in in real life either so you know sometimes you just waste all of your time investing in something and then it you get nothing out of it please rate and subscribe <laughs> and tell a fellow friend about this great podcast here with a thousand potions so we never feel that way yeah exactly exactly oh my god <laughs> good point though we start gameplay at the train platform very much like in original. And then Aerith is all glassy-eyed for some reason. Like she looks like she's been smoking marijuana or she's been running a lot. I don't know why. But she looks like she's about to cry. Her eyes are really glassy. And then we are attacked by specters, enigmatic and mysterious specters. Of course, very much like in chapter four. No, no, no. At the end of chapter three, when we had the original specter attack, on Sector 7, we had to kill the Mysterious Spectres before the Enigmatic Spectres, and the Mysterious Spectres kind of idle around while the Enigmatics actually attack you. Once you kill the Mysterious Spectres, the Enigmatics are vulnerable. For me, Aerith only has ice on her at the moment. I should probably change that. But the way ice is cast, it's like a block of ice placed in a certain area, and then it bursts and explodes to cause damage. And and as hmm. I use it in several of these fights throughout the game, I'm wondering, is there anyone who this ability is appropriate for? Because no one sits still to get hit by the block of ice. Every mob in this game is running around in circles, flying around, you know, phasing in and out of existence, changing themselves to physical mode and everything. And it's like, when does the block of ice actually hit its target is <laughs> my feeling I have here. You know, we've been dealing with specters through multiple chapters throughout the slums here. And, and even up top, we've seen them. But then we have this whole other chapter where you're dealing with ghosts. <laughs> and so there's like this over overlap mm. of like, we went from one type of spooky, wafty, ethereal being to another. Yet, kind of what we're learning is that they're not related in any way whatsoever. And maybe the train yard chapter would have been a chapter to perhaps reveal or learn something about the dusty ghosts a little more, don't you think? Yeah, it's an interesting thing to point out, Nate, because when we see the ghosts, or I should say when we see the specters here, nobody has a comment distinguishing the two types of ethereal creatures. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's why I'm still in magic brain or or why i was trying to kill these things with magic because i just spent a whole chapter trying to kill spooky floaty guys with magic you're role-playing in yeah. character worked on those guys why not these for sure once the battle ends these 
dusty ghosts disappear as fast as they showed up. And it isn't very obvious what the point of all of that was. I mean, as someone who's played it before, I have some ideas, but I don't have anything definitive. Even in the second playthrough, it isn't very clear. Yeah, me neither. I, the The closest thing is like we learned in the church because we had our own opinions of them and them hurting our friends and attacking us and being genuinely creepy and weird. But we had that revelation in the church with Aerith that she said, oh, they're helping us. And like they picked her up and put her back on the platform and things. So we have some sort of inference that like they're saying, don't go to the tower. Um, but mm-hmm. it doesn't make sense. And I'm not, I'm not going to tread into too much spoilers here, but if, our our knowledge of what happened in the church and what happened in sector seven in chapter three. If we look at that and say, okay, the ghosts helped to make sure things went according to plan. If the plan is final fantasy seven, OG, right? That the, I think mm-hmm. we can infer that from what we've seen so far, this would be the opposite. Because we're rushing towards the pillar, just as we did in OG. And they're saying, no, don't go. This doesn't make sense in light of everything we have been learning up to this point. The only clue we have is Aerith, who shouts, no, let us through before the fight begins. Please, let us through! But if Aerith is precogging what's about to happen, she knows that the pillar is going to fall. Why is she hollering, no, let us through? Why isn't she going... Now that I've said it, maybe it's because she wants to get over to uh, the sector itself to help people escape. Mm-hmm. But even so, it's still, it's not clear. Definitely. Mm. Right. Once we get to the bottom of the pillar, we hear Barrett's voice cry out, What you got? Come on! He's trading fire with a helicopter, obviously. Wedge falls off the pillar, uses a grappling hook to stunt his fall, loses his grip on the grappling hook, hey, it's a better one than Cloud had, and hits the ground hard, but not deadly hard. He wants to get back up there and help the rest of the team, but Cloud says, no way, Jose, and instructs Aerith and Tifa to stay with him while he races up alone. Uh, this is consistent with original. It's consistent with original, except for the fact that Wedge just fell from the fucking top on his ass. <laughs> oh, gee, no grappling hook and seemingly survived they didn't really said oh shit he's dead when he hit the ground from you know yeah they, they didn't have any yeah. reaction of like oh my god wedge just fucking died he's splattered yeah, on the his ground. brains ain't splattered yeah. enough <laughs> exactly you have the graphics now to make it a reality so we got Chekhov's grappling hook involved hmm can I talk about the operation itself here? Have we have we we've established that Avalanche is fighting Shinra here at the pillar, right? Yes. All right. So in my kid brain, makes total sense. You're gonna stop Shinra Incorporated and their troops and their Turks and their bad guys from destroying the pillar. You're gonna save the day and save the slums, right? In this case, they don't really explain this or go this angle in uh, remake at all, but really, if we're being honest, what they the operation should be is just delaying Shinra long enough to evacuate everybody. Because how long are the five of you going to defend this point against a like you said? There's five choppers flying around here, and that's just who they sent. Like they've got a military, they've got. Tens of thousands. They said 50,000 people are in one section of the slum. So got what? Times eight, that's 400,000 people below. How many people live topside? Maybe another 400,000. Let's say 1% of them are in the military. That means you've got 4,000 troops to send down to the pillar to invade and eventually do the operation. So... I don't think that Avalanche has any real chance of ever defending this or stopping this from happening. The only thing they should be concerned about doing is delaying until everybody's left the slums and then saying, fuck it, I guess we leave. 
because there is no stopping this, if I'm being honest, right? That's not very revolutionary minded of you. I guess the you could like delay long enough to spread awareness that like this is Shinra's doing, you know, or something uh-huh. to like for public opinion's sake. But in remake, Avalanche is pretty damn incompetent. And Shinra has been doing a great job of basically pinning all of Midgar's problems on Avalanche. Because when you talk to regular people, nobody likes the Avalanche. <laughs> Almost nobody, I should say. Mm-hmm. Like, they're all like, oh, wish they just shut the fuck up and go home. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> when you talk to regular people. So it's like you're fighting a losing battle. And then the idea that like, all right, we stopped, we stopped a couple choppers. Okay, well, here comes the military. 4,000 troops. Now what? You know, are you gonna... I guess maybe they're all level 1s and you're level like 15 at this point, so you just mow them down Dynasty Warrior style, but I'm not that confident. No. You've got the Roches out there. The guy, he's gonna ride his motorcycle up that pillar and just... Oh my god. You know, chop your gun arm right off. That would be amazing. You get partway up the pillar and you hear the... When he crashes through something and lands like on the <laughs> utility platform you're trying to climb, mm-hmm. I ain't done dancing with you, sucker. He's grinding the guardrails on the staircases like Tony Hawk, but upwards. <laughs> yeah, like and and on the nose of the motor- motorcycle, uh-huh. forward facing. Cloud instructs Aerith and Tifa to stay with him while he races up alone. But before he ascends, Wedge hints that Biggs is in trouble. And we witness specters floating upwards towards the fighting. They want in on the action. The girls are kind of fine with this instruction coming from Cloud. You'd think Tifa would have more to say about being involved in the defense of the pillar, given her hand wringing since hearing the plot from Corneo. That and Aerith is the one that is typically like the, you tell her, get out of here, go home. I don't want to do anything. I don't want you to have anything to do with this. And she's like, nope, I'm coming Mm -hmm. along. Screw you. I'm fighting alongside you. I'm just as capable as you are. Whereas, you know, kind of what we said earlier about her knowing how this is going to play out, she's actually pretty mm. pretty content to be like, no, I, I already know where I'm headed. And we'll get some more hints of that, too, of like, she knows she's one step ahead of everybody else. When Cloud goes up the stairs, we get a brief cutscene in which Biggs sees Cloud has arrived. He looks exhausted, possibly wounded, looks down at his handgun and says, I've got to do my part to clear the path before you steal the show. You being Cloud, not the handgun. And then a squad of Shinra forces discovers Biggs. He points his gun at them. And then we cut back to Cloud. The vibe is tense. The music is action-oriented. This is very pulse-pounding action set-piece chapter right here. The pillar dungeon begins. Not much of a dungeon. It's really just utility staircases, clearings, and corridors made of sheet metal that encircle the pillar itself. Plenty of sections are exposed to Midgar's night sky, which is how we can feel the night air. It's night out, um, action is going on, and the night sky is setting a good backdrop for the explosions and the bright lights and the gunfire that we that we see throughout the chapter. And as we go up these levels, I feel like I've seen these environments before. I mean, I know this game is set in Midgar, and there's a lot of industry and industrial waste and facilities and warehouse floors and things like that but the sheet metal utility walkways are all over in this game underplate any given mako reactor they're they're just everywhere and here it is again we get hit with the same environment but this one is predominantly staircases and clearings on the first few levels we fight shinra forces that have shotguns spiked riot shields and there are laser turrets as well these Shinra forces, the ones with the shotguns, also have high potions, and so bear that in mind. Be sure to finish them off once you got them started. They live in a weird place of, like, they've got their riot shields, so you can't attack them. So you can't build ATB in that way. But if I get into counter stance, they just use ranged attacks, which I don't counter. So I don't really know how to build ATB with them other than just stand there for 30 seconds, then cast fire, then attack them. So I, I don't know if there's something I'm missing or some other character that is able to light these guys up without needing ATB of any kind. I dash rolled around them and struck them there. I guess I just, I really just guess I suck at this game. Like, uh, I do, I do get at action games and this place, this game exists in a nebula somewhere where 
it's not action and it's not necessarily rpg and so i'm just bad at it for some reason it's definitely not a choose your favorite way to defeat a boss on the third floor where we hear the whir of helicopter blades we see specters surrounding biggs who has gone limp against a wall cloud races to him but one specter intercepts cloud and puts its headless hood right up to cloud's face like it's going to swallow him up but nothing happens and then all specters flee a moment later now you're, you're talking about the floors here in og there are no floors it's just one big stairway wrapping around the pillar um with with like quarter sections to it it's not circular the pillar is square or rectangular and then the stairway cr- uh takes a 90 degree turn at every corner and you just are endlessly ascending the stairway. So you're getting into random battles and those random battles will put you on some sort of platform, but it doesn't exist in the physical space of the world. So you're kind of just left with, you know, uh, that, that disconnect. Whereas that's what remake does differently is there's all these circular platforms that you're ascending to every level. The staircase doesn't go around the pillar. It's adjacent to the pillar. And in original, it's also adjacent to the pillar. Although they're... Hold on. Is that true? Is it the pillar you're saying in Remake? The pillar itself we're scaling? Well, we should distinguish there are two structures involved. The pillar is this big stone brown block. Oh, you're right. And the utility staircase is the highly industrialized, you know... um, lighted staircased sheet metal flooring environment that we climb up let me but, but in discussion we're, we're referring to them both kind of in the same as if they were the same thing this is like the maintenance platform for the pillar so yeah yeah yeah, yeah. the self-destruct platform for the yeah pillar. okay you're yeah that computer terminal probably does you're right things. i'm i'm reviewing the footage it is still 90 degree angle staircase but it is not wrapped around the square pillar the square pillar is separate it is circular too the the maintenance platform is circular there just are no actual stops on the platforms until you get to the very top that's right all right cool so we get to our boy biggs and he's giving us a death scene And it's sold to us like as if it were a death scene. We've all seen enough movies in our life to know when a death scene is happening. They're dirty. They're injured for some reason. They're lying on the ground. The friend or the main character, the sympathetic guy, the audience surrogate, runs up to them, cradles their head in their arm or hand or in their lap, and they say their last sensitive parting words, sometimes imparting a very profound nugget of wisdom onto the person that they're speaking with to carry on. And that's what happens here. But it's totally disingenuous because he doesn't die in remake. I think he does an original. Oh yeah. hundred, hundred percent. hundred percent. Spoilers by the way, but I think this spoiler is so unimportant and uninspired and non consequential <laughs> to the plot that Biggs doesn't actually die here. Right. Hmm. In remake. And he's totally dead, never to be heard from again in OG Final Fantasy. Can I talk about uh, Gosetsu? Sure, I don't even know what that word is. We're going to dive into warning Final Fantasy 14 spoilers here. Because I'm I'm noticing a trend. I'm noticing a very JRPG, Japanese storytelling trope here. But in Final Fantasy XIV, there's a character you follow. His name is Gosetsu. He is a large samurai man. I think he is like a half-breed from another race that is the reason he's huge, right? Don't quote me on that, but I, I'm, I'm leaning towards that being the case. So, he's big, he's muscular, he's capable, but he's a softie. He's the, he's the giant with the heart of gold kind of character, okay. right? He's a man of honor. There's this long-running narrative with him, and it's mostly pretty good. But there's a scene where a, a evil villain, in order to kind of, as they're dying, after you defeat them to kind of like spite you, they sabotage their own building, I think. Maybe I, I, so long ago, but this is what sticks out. And that building is going to collapse. And so Gosetsu like jumps in and keeps the building from collapsing on everyone, mm-hmm. right? 
And so you would think the you think the next phrase is get the hell out of here. Get it's about to it's you know, and he's like, ah, oh, like he, he's just struggling to hold this thing up with all of his might for just a few more seconds. Mm. So his friends can get out into the open, right? No, they all stand there and for five minutes give their final farewells to the man holding the building up. <laughs> I let me it's a big emotional farewell Mm -hmm. you're you're getting the payoff the final words the last sentiments so that these characters all have closure with a man that they loved and and even in the middle of it the enemy shoots him in the gut and he still holds the building up baller then finally everyone escapes the building collapses they're all feeling emotional and a little bit distraught on the outside of it but at least they got to give their final farewells to good old Gosetsu. Then the leader of your, your band, not your character, but like the story leader, his name is Hien. He says something along the lines of, uh, check the river. He's probably fine. Okay. <laughs> so we just, we just spent five minutes doing the fond farewells, except the guy is like, he's probably not even dead. And everybody, he's probably just in the river. Go check the river. He's okay. <laughs> he and not only undercut everything you just went through of all the fond farewells as being completely pointless and that he was holding the building up this the whole time for absolutely fucking nothing, but also it undercuts him coming back later in the game because it's no longer a surprise. They already hinted that the dude's totally fine. So when Gosetsu shows up again later in the game, you're like, oh, yeah, they. They told me that was going to happen. So it is one of the worst lines of dialogue I've ever <laughs> encountered just because of how badly it takes a shit all over the scenes that it just handed me and the scenes involving this character to come. And I was just like, how is it possible that they didn't understand how this works? <laughs> and this scene with Biggs made me feel the exact same way again of like, you're doing all of this buildup and these final moments and him like sharing this, this heartfelt final farewell with cloud. And then you don't actually like seal the deal. And then later in the game, they're like, Oh yeah, that was all, that was all kind of pointless. Wasn't it? That was just a waste of my time. Post-production Nate here. I went back and looked at the scene from Stormblood that I thought it was he the leader saying that Gosetsu is fine. Um, it's actually much more detailed and frankly, like leading than even that. Hien doesn't say anything. They have um, it's Alphano, the uh, one of the main characters. He says that they should go look through the wreckage of the castle in the river to see if they can find Gosetsu, and they send a turtle man who can get underwater and really get down there. And like the turtle man comes back with this whole thesis of like. The full the floor collapsed from out the building and the wreckage is down there, whatever. I found no body. I didn't find him anywhere. <laughs> so uh it's even more detailed than I originally thought. I, I was originally thinking like somebody said a line like, Yeah, there's no way he'd die from that. He's probably in the river. Go check the river. Well, they did check the river and they did confirm, yeah, we don't see his body anywhere. So that that classic like if you don't see the corpse. They're absolutely coming back later. Um, the story did do that. It did heavily imply the character's coming back after you just spent five minutes giving him his uh, eulogy. So, uh, yeah. Post-production, Nate, out. It wasn't earned. You've got to give up the ghost, man. I'm over the... Oh, and I gotta, I gotta mention the Rise of Skywalker. I'm over <laughs> I was thinking Death the same thing. Yeah, I'm over death fakeouts. No death fakeouts. You're talking Either about Chewbacca, right? Chewbacca and C3PO, like he mm-hmm. experienced like ego death, right? Um, in the fact that they they wiped his memories and killed him, and they're like, "Oh, our our pal, our buddy," and then he just turns back on. He's like, "Ah, I'm good. It's okay. I'm C3PO too." I think Final Fantasy VII even kind of OG has an in-game joke about this very phenomenon (laughs) (laughs) where they they poke fun at it with a a certain um well we'll just we'll save it for later right i'm not aware of what you're referencing 
Um, so in in Final Fantasy VII OG, there's a scene where a certain cartoon cat. Mm, 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 mm. He's lamenting how he's going to sacrifice his life in order to uh, perform a certain ritual that will help the party out, and he's gonna he's never gonna see him again. And there's you know he's he's giving everything he's got, and so he does. <laughs> And then the ritual's over, and you're outside, and he's like, he's like, oh hey, I'm Ketchy number two. Good to see y'all. It's because he's just a puppet controlled by a dude offsite. What was the point of the big emotional farewell with the one of nine hundred cat models you have in the closet? Like, I think it was an like. I don't know if they were being serious about it because they so quickly after the fact were like, hey guys what's up they didn't let it linger at all they they didn't like you weren't like on disc two later rummaging around and like you're you're in some sort of shinra facility and then you you touch a a button and all of a sudden and then you like oh it's it's the catchy prototype and then it comes online it's like i forgot i had this one oh my god guys i'm back you know there's none of that Mm -hmm. it's like immediately he's like oh yeah i got another one by the way not not a big deal (laughs) when folks make that sacrifice we develop as viewers as players as gamers we develop an emotional connection to the media in question like when i when that spaceship exploded and i thought chewie had like properly died i almost felt something Mm, yeah but no he's okay anyway uh yeah so tangent on big's death fake out here not a fan not a fan but basically, uh, we share that Wedge is okay. Don't worry, he'll bounce back. Big says, that's good to hear. Could do with some extra padding myself. So, making a corpulent person joke there, perhaps. He coughs. Cloud, promise me, don't let it be for nothing. And we have the option to say, I won't, or what about you? But firstly, what's wrong with Biggs. It isn't obvious if it's bullets, if the ghosts had slapped him with their dusty tails. All I see is that he looks dirty. The injury is vague, and not knowing its severity is impacting my ability to emotionally connect with this moment. He's at zero HP, he's in the knockdown status, and his timer is going, and you have three turns to get him back up, otherwise he's gonna poof, be gone. Shout out to Tactics Ogre Reborn, which I beat on Saturday. Yeah. Until he experiences permadeath. He is at risk of experiencing permadeath. Yeah, I get it. I get that he's at one or zero HP here. That's my take. I said, what about you? What did you say, Nate? I said, I won't. How does that go? Cloud says, I won't. (laughs) Big says, you're a good man giving me that comfort. And then his hand slips through clouds onto the floor. Cloud gasps like he just watched Biggs die. And then Biggs goes, oh, one more thing. And then he tells us about the Leaf House orphanage and that we should hang out with kids. Okay, that's where the two pieces connect. I said, what about you? Cloud kind of is marshalling the courage out of Biggs to like get up and carry on. We ain't leaving you here. You still got some life to live. What Biggs says is, hey. I still got some fight left in me. Enough for another platoon or two. Don't gotta be a soldier to make a difference. We get to the Leaf House uh, orphanage. One more thing. The Leaf House, it's an orphanage in the Sector 5 slums. The kids, they're great. I used to visit them. And Cloud shakes his head. You'll have to do that yourself. And then Biggs goes, let me guess, not a fan of kids. Cloud says no. And then Biggs says, but you have dot 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 so much in common. Let me guess. Not a fan of kids. No. But you have so much in common. Bit of a head scratcher for me. Let's say, okay, they're orphans, so unhappy pasts, loss of a sense of place. Final Fantasy VII's characters, playable characters, all have a loss of sense of place in their background. So maybe that resonates there. And in terms of Cloud, who has multiple identities or multiple personas, I don't know what the right vocabulary would be. The Nibelheim incident for proper Cloud, and then when occupying Zack's persona, perhaps the Gongaga explosion. What do you think, Nate? 
might be he has so much in common with kids because it's a maturity thing. Oh, he does say kids. He doesn't say orphans. He says kids. We have a main character here who's 21 years old, right? And he spent, this is OG spoilers here that we, you know, we're relying on OG to get to this uh, crossroads. But we know he spent five years inside a test tube and some other years, like in a, or some other time since getting out of that tube and arriving here in Midgar in like a brain fog mm. of, of some sort, just like bobbing his head and being uncommunicative until seemingly it's vague, but I'm getting the impression that either Zach's death like snapped him out of it or there's suggestion that that was the moment that Genova absorbed the parts of Zach's memories into clouds, creating the current cloud we have because mm. it's heavily hinted that he's like an amalgamation of people's. So one of those two things happen: either he snapped out of it due to Zach's death or the absorbing of Zach's Genova, whatever in the vicinity of his death is what caused that. That's all head canon. And if I recall slightly hinted at in an anime that came out at some point, one way or another, don't know. Because it's not in Crisis Core. We know that much. Um, but returning to that fact, you've got him in a test tube for five years and in a brain fog for the amount of time it took them to traverse the planet. So Cloud is effectively at like a 15-year-old maturity-wise. He's in the body of a 21-year-old, but he's lived 15 actual years of human life. So maybe that's why when he goes to the sensual hand massage parlor, he has the reaction a 15-year-old would have in that place as opposed to a, a full-grown adult. Interesting take, Nate. Biggs might be poking up on, yeah, I'm kind of dealing with the with a teenager here when, <laughs> when I interact with them. Gosh, so that promise to Tifa must feel like yesterday. That was when he was 13, I believe. I'd have to look at the overall timeline and the ages. They do outline that, and I think it's in, you probably have it in your Ultimania too, like, they probably talk about the scene. Tifa's this age. Cloud's this age. Ultimania says Cloud 14, Tifa 13. After the you have so much in common comment, Biggs puts his hand on Cloud's head and says, good luck. Our future is in your hands. Dorky ass thumbs up. And then his head goes limp. And then Cloud walks away saying this isn't over. It's the avalanche signature at this point. Because if you remember when they parachuted off the plate, we had the dorky ass thumbs up there too. I mean, fine. All right. That's to me, to, to Western audience. I guess I embody all Western audiences, by the way. Mm -hmm. I think it's dorky. On floor four, we begin to see dead avalanche militia and dead Shinra forces. And then we meet our first heli troopers. These guys are in original and they're amazing. They wear these power enhancing suits and have helicopter rotors on their wrists and can hover and fly by pointing one of them straight up into the air above their heads, and they also use the rotors for a powerful melee attack called Prop Swipe. Uh, in Remake, at least, they're weak to fire and wind. Thankfully, I have fire-equipped and weapon-elementaled. They're fun. This enemy design just screams to me of, like, they went into... And, and I'm not... This is not a bad thing. They, they are cool, but... When it comes to like enemy design, this one is just like a just make stuff, guys. Just start doing drawings. Just create some zany, crazy characters, some different types. We need variety. We want to have some fun. And the guy's like, how about helicopter hands? <laughs> and the guys are like, oh, that's awesome. Let's do it. It reminds me of the Hell House where it's non-realistic authenticity. Sure. By floor five, the sounds of a helicopter grow louder. And we can see that there's one holding steady a few floors above, looking into the pillar. On floor six, there are two back-to-back -back scenes. Cloud is caught in the headlights of Reno in Rude's copter. Reno recognizes Cloud. He calls him Mr. First Class from the Sector 5 church. Uh, Reno, on the loudspeaker, accuses Avalanche of trying to destroy the pillar and that the Turks are here to stop them. So this is yet another false flag scheme. We know all about your evil plans to destroy the pillar. But the Turks, uh, but Shinra, that's us, won't let you get away with it. So go crawl back into whatever hole you crawled out of or something. Feeling butthurt about losing the one-on-one, -on -one, he initiated 
He lays the copter's machine gun on to Cloud. Reno's gunfire chases Cloud up the stairs and has him pinned behind a rack of huge pipes. The rack of pipes begins to break apart and dangerous debris falls off the pillar. The camera follows the debris down to where we catch up to Aerith and Wedge. This is the second half of the back-to-back scenes. And we see the debris coming for Wedge, but, but Tifa anime superhero kicks the debris away just feet above their heads. Wedge is feeling better, but Tifa feels she needs to break away and help Cloud. Tifa instructs Aerith to get Marlene out of the Sector 7 slums, but before she can get the girl's name out of her mouth, Aerith finishes her sentence and says, get Marlene and take her to safety. Aerith, there's a bar in the center of town, 7th Heaven. I need you to get Marlene to safety, right? It's okay. I'll find her. This confuses Tifa, but she doesn't actually comment on it. We as players are made to wonder how Aerith knows Marlene's name. Is she clairvoyant? I can't remember. Did she see the Marlene ghost illusion in the previous chapter? Maybe it isn't so alarming that Aerith knows Marlene's name if she's seen the little girl ghost like Tifa did in the train graveyard. Having played the games before, I know Aerith goes and gets Marlene. So for Aerith to say, yep, I got to go get Marlene. She's like tapping into the way I feel about the game in a, in a certain respect. She's played the game as well before, too. She has the subtitle at the bottom of the screen, able to read it before it comes out of people's mouths in a way. <laughs> and that's really interesting because like the game definitely delivers like Tifa gets that like, huh, face and then just kind of moves on. But if you aren't like zoned in, really paying attention to the game, you can miss some of these moments where she's doing this because of the fact that in your head, you're already playing it this way. You're already knowing what's coming next. So I almost wonder how a completely fresh person who didn't play OG at all would experience these scenes of like, what what is going what is going on with this character that she's like jumping the gun on everything mm. you know mm. but it does it, it sometimes it just doesn't even register with me it's like oh yeah of course yeah that's what you go do next <laughs> and wait wait a second you don't know that you do that huh she's got you the know? script and, yeah exactly and we we've covered that before but this is just like in this case i didn't even think about it until <laughs> until i was revisiting this for notes later and i saw your note i was like oh right right yeah she doesn't actually know that now that we've introduced Marlene into the conversation of this chapter, I'm feeling like the themes of children and child abandonment in the train graveyard chapter are paying off here, which is not how we described the last episode. We were we were talking down the storytelling components of the previous episode in the train graveyard for being kind of in a bottle by exploring these themes and not coming back to them. But now that we're now that we're playing this chapter, now that we're here to rescue Marlene. A kid who does not have a parent nearby while things are perilous, maybe it actually is paying off and we're selling FF7 Remix short. And if you go back to what I said earlier about the reality of, are you going to stop Shinra from doing what they want to do in their own city? From Barrett's perspective, what if he goes to the pillar, dies, and it drops, and nobody ever went to the fucking bar? If Barrett's in this case, kind of a shitty dad, right? Mm. Because yeah, he's trying to save everybody's life, but really Barrett, are you going to stop all of Shinra with your one stupid gun? What you really should be doing is grabbing your kid, everybody else that's close to you and running. As soon as you learned about the pillar, like, I don't know how much his efforts are truly delaying Shinra. If that actually bought people hours, you know, or, or anything like that. But really the second you hear about it, you go out, you get a giant bullhorn and you go out into the slums and be like, everybody time to go to sector six. Let's get the hell out of here. And then they're like, Barrett, what are you talking about? And then Barrett like gets in his typical Barrett mode of like, move your asses or I'll move them for you, <laughs> you know, and like fires his gun out into the air and stuff. And then everybody's like, okay, okay, fine. We're leaving, you know? And he grabs his kid and leaves like that is, probably the better option in this case because if not for Aerith Marlene's dying tonight yeah that's true with the child abandonment theme we know that Barrett wouldn't put Marlene into harm's way so I'm not so sure that Barrett 
did discover the ruse that Tifa sought out to discover, because if he knew what was going to happen, probably would have gotten Marlene out of Dodge. He doesn't know that they're going to blow the pillar. He just thinks they're doing something sketchy there, or <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that ever gets answered. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so Tifa splits and Wedge offers to show Aerith the way to Seventh Heaven. We take control of Aerith. We have an Aerith section of this chapter, which we do not have in original. Very much like Tifa in the sewers, Wedge also notices Aerith doesn't think we can stop the pillar from falling. But Aerith does say that that's not a reason to not try our hardest to save the people. There's a horde of people trying to pass through a gate. Shinra guards won't let it open. Wedge appeals to their humanity. And uh, eventually one violates the superior officer's orders and opens the gate and we get through. The two guards, they are uh, in OG as well. You have the kind of weak guard and he's trying to learn from the hard ass guard Mm. here. But this is a a turning of the tables that didn't exist in OG of the weak guard ends up being the one that stands up to his orders and having a spine to actually like disobey orders to save people's lives. And then the the quote unquote strong guy is, is turns out he's just a cowardly company man who's willing to be crushed just because his orders tell him to. And it's kind of an inversion of the idea of what is strength because (laughs) The, the man with heart is the one that has the conviction to do what's right in the face of evil. When Aerith breaks off, like Wedge is going to help evacuate people. When Aerith breaks off, like the original pitch was that Wedge was going to show Aerith to seventh heaven. And Aerith is already like, I know the way. I know where this place is. <laughs> I've, I've done this before again, like we said. So, um, so she was just playing along with Wedge, showing her the way before. Is that and precogging as as she, though? Is it impossible that Aerith has ever been to to Sector 7? Has ever been to 7th Heaven or has seen 7th Heaven before? That could be possible. Uh, but judging by the fact of how she reacts to, I gotta, I gotta get back to the bar. I gotta get back to 7th Heaven and see Tifa. Tifa's the manager, owner, runner of the bar, mm. potentially. Right? Mm-hmm. And so the way Aerith asks when Cloud first meets her, is Tifa a girl? Is Tifa a girlfriend? You know, that suggests to me she doesn't she doesn't know anything about this place, right? Otherwise, you would uh if she knew about it, it would be ah, that's that's oh, I know that place. Good oh, point. that's run by that's run by Tifa. Hmm. Oh shit. I've I've seen Tifa. God. Oh oh god, no. Everyone loves her, especially Johnny. <laughs> Yeah, she's so punchy. <laughs> she's got huge shoes. I'm not exaggerating. Look at her original art. Her shoes are huge. Kicking shoes. Dolphin kicking shoes. Aerith runs into Marley <laughs> and some of the neighborhood watch. She tells them what's going on. They spring into action to evacuate the slums. Then after the conversation's over, Marl's model books it out of the area faster than I've ever thought she could. It's it's really funny. This is not like storytelling. This is a contrivance of the programming where this model has been programmed to run at like two and a half times a, a, a typical run speed out of the area. It is very, very funny. If you're playing the game, watch it because she's like, zoom, zoom, and she's gone. She does not suffer from adult onset arthritis at all. Not like anyone we know. We do get to Sector, whoops, we do get to 7th Heaven, but two helicopters spontaneously crash into one another and falls and explodes in front of Aerith. Access to the bar is impossible, and there's no good reason why why this carnage happens in the first place. We don't see an avalanche militia member take a knee and fire a rocket-propelled grenade into the air. They're probably incompetent, but that carnage happens. Let's look at the footage, Tyler. Let me see. I'm getting a spider sense of perhaps something else being at play here. Maybe it was Marl. Marl went to back to Stargazer Heights and opened this wooden crate and rifled through the straw and pulled out a huge fucking bazooka. And I got up on the second on the roof of Stargazer Heights and uh, peered down the eyesight. All right, I'm going to correct you here. You got one chopper. Flying normally, second chopper has smoke billowing out of it and is careening wildly out of control as its propellers fail to keep a uh, a rotation needed to maintain flight. Fair enough. Oh my god, Nate, I missed something. We come into contact with a little girl 
on the way to finding Marlene. It's not Marlene, but Aerith picks her up and returns her uh, back the way towards Ma- to towards Marl. I'm not very sure why. This is Cat Girl. That's the Cat Girl. Yeah, we saved her cats. Oh, um, we 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 went around and Cloud said this sucks as he was touching touching cats. Uh, this Cat Girl. When I was streaming this, I joked that there's an alternate timeline where Aerith just rescued the wrong little girl and there's nothing Barrett we get like a a punished Barrett arc timeline where he goes rogue and starts killing all Shinra employees everywhere without mercy because Aerith never saved his daughter if you don't complete the cat quest does Aerith just blow past her I don't know (laughs) probably not but are all the cats dead that's my question uh not wedges because i'm betting that's what he went to go get when he split off from Aerith. yes the orders for wedge were help people escape and by people i mean cat yeah we see him with a cat in his arms later in the, in the chapter oh, so it's at least partially true right when we get to seventh heaven we cut to song remember he's the kind of the leader of the turks he doesn't manage no he he's the supervisor of the turks Young man, long straight black hair, funny diamond on his forehead, grim, straightforward, kind of rude-like, but not a physical combatant like Rude is. This is more of a a manager. He confirms that one of their helicopters went down, or, or two of them, I suppose. He goes, probably for the best, and I suppose that means that these helicopters crashing is supporting the evidence for the false flag attack that he's coordinating and then he sees Aerith and he goes hmm change of plans someone's been a bit too adventurous hey Tyler can I do what I would feel is a little bit more authentic dialogue for Sung here in this situation yeah lay it on me bro okay so here's here's what he should say in this scene uh instead of like the change of plans hmm holy shit our ace in the whole trump card for the literal end game of our entire company is here where the fuck are her bodyguards they got restaffed into fucking chopper duty. God, you people are incompetent morons. Stop the plate up. Oh, oh God. She's running directly into the fires and explosions. <laughs> How the fuck did two of our choppers just casually run into each other? Okay, I guess I thought that too now, Tyler. So uh, the reviewing of the footage was important. I thought the co- the choppers just randomly collided on their own. Uh, back to the dialogue. All staff to the bar immediately. Hojo's gonna murder me for this. God damn it! Like that should be Sung's dialogue because what we know about Aerith's purpose and Shinra's purposes and their grand designs for him to be like, hmm, she's just casually running into the fires. That's that's a little bit of a problem. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Like. No, that's not a little bit of a problem, Sung. That's uh, your entire fucking life and job are on the line. Your head will undoubtedly roll (laughs) without question. These people are going to drop a plate on 50,000 to play a little bit of wargaming. What happens when you ruin their entire prospects for their fiduciary duty for the next 1,000 years? (laughs) What's going to happen to you, Sung? It's Abzu for you. <laughs> exactly. I think you need to, like, put a little pep in your step, buddy. He's so grim and cool. He's unflappable. He's a very cool cucumber. But you're right about that. He took a big drag before <laughs> going on this op. He's like, we better do something about this. <laughs> he's like the dude. He's like, oh, hmm. Uh, she, she's kind of, she's out there, man. He's, Let's get in there and stop. Do something. We get into the bar. There's fires burning everywhere around the bar, including the bar's front porch. You get inside. You cannot play darts nor fiddle with the jukebox, which tells you how urgent I feel about uh, rescuing Marlene. Can you imagine dropping the Chocobo beat song right here? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Song walks in and looks at the jukebox and is like, the hell are you you did not (laughs) you can follow the sound of marlene's whimpering behind the bar but you don't see her so when you turn around to face the the bar room from behind the bar you will see marlene hiding alone 
underneath it. A pink beacon of innocence set in shadow. Daddy's not coming home? Not yet. That's why I came to find you. Tifa asked me to. She said, take care of Marlene. Aerith coaxes her out, and she's terrified that they are going to destroy the bar. Aerith doesn't placate her. She says, you and Daddy will build a new house. She cries against Aerith's shoulder. Then there's a shimmer and a burst of static. Marlene pulls away, and the two say nothing, but they both know a secret that isn't obvious to the player. Not to me, at least. Marlene says, you smell like our flower, and points to the flower Aerith gave Cloud in Chapter 2. It's, it's sitting in a simple vase on the bar. You smell nice. Oh? Like, like a flower. Aerith smiles, and uh, Marlene agrees to go with Aerith. Now, what happened between these two? You want me to headcanon it all the way through Xenoblade style? Yeah, I do. Marlene, again, this isn't in the game. This is me just riding the wave, right? Uh, Marlene is spiritually sensitive. And so that story she heard about the ghosts and the getting lost and not going near the train graveyard, she didn't hear that from other kids. She heard that from the ghosts because she can hear the whispers and the voices and everything. She is special. And so um, that's, that's why she knows the spooky story about the train graveyard. That's why that scene is important to show us that Marlene's clued in on something bigger here, right? She was able to project her spirit into the graveyard for Tifa to come find her because she's Marlene is under the bar whimpering as we now see her. But we saw that in the graveyard. How did we see that in the graveyard? It's like a astral projection kind of thing that she's doing, right? Hmm. So being somebody who is spiritually sensitive, she was able to touch Aerith. And receive that same kind of, we've had other people touch Aerith and get insight. Not everybody has, but we have another character who has, upon touching her, spooky specter wisps were then circling around them afterwards. They gained a level of insight, if I'm going to use a bloodborne term there, of, of the inner workings of the world. And so Marlene, too, by touching Aerith, by being a spiritually sensitive person, she was able to, like get a little glimpse of that same thing that's happening to Aerith of like, Oh, okay. Oh, oh, I see. All right. Yeah. Yeah. You're good. You're the good one. I, I see the vision of you taking me to safety. I see the, the path we're on together and maybe even like further on in the story of their friendship, because there is a short while where Marlene is in Aerith's care for at least a little bit. So, um, I think that's that's my headcanon of what's happening here. I'm going to do you one better, headcanon style. Okay. Marlene is part ancient. Hmm, interesting. So we know one of her one of her parents, Dine, mm-hmm. who is a North Corellian, like Barrett is. We don't know who the mother is. Although any ancient that we meet in the game, they tend to be female. Sure. And so maybe it is the long-lost mother. I have difficulty believing it's Dine. He doesn't seem very spiritually sensitive to me in the scope of original. He's a coal miner. And then, ba-ba-ba-bum, Song enters the bar. You led us on a merry chase, Aerith. We can tell that Aerith knows him and refers to him by name. Song seems like he aims to arrest her for reasons we don't really know. But Aerith says, let's make a deal. How about... We make a deal. Which probably means negotiating her cooperation if they can guarantee Marlene's safe extraction out of the slums. I'm led to believe that this is absolutely something that happened in OG as well, even though we didn't see this play out this way. Because OG has an issue with, in the time that it took you to scale up to the top of the pillar, apparently Mm. Aerith is able to make it all the way to Sector 5 with Marlene get captured and get brought back here on a helicopter in in that Mm -hmm. time now that requires crossing all of sector six which is a combat zone you run into mobs there and this is Aerith. now we played with Aerith along with cloud but think about solo playing Aerith through those mobs with a (laughs) five-year-old i don't think that 
it just didn't make sense how she made it all the way back to her mom's house and back on the chopper if we didn't have some sort of intervention like this from the start. So her let's make a deal line actually rings pretty true and solves a problem I had with the original pacing of OG. Yeah, I'm into it. I buy this too. Hey everybody, we're going to take a break here. Seems like a good place to break after completing Aerith's segment of the chapter. Come back for part two, in which we will complete the chapter, checking back in with Cloud, Tifa, and Barrett at the top of the pillar. Thanks everybody. Bye bye. (laughs) 